On today's Trial Run podcast, Antonio Brown is acting a full fool. NFL is back in a big way. Fantasy football breakout players, home runs of ruining baseball, and a big week in college football. All on our show today, this is the Trial Run podcast. Let's go. So anybody who's not living underneath a rock would know that the NFL season opened yesterday with the Packers and the Bears, a terrible matchup. Uh, 10 and 10 to 3 was the final score, I believe. And I would love to talk about that right off the bat. But unfortunately, when you have people like Antonio Brown hogging the highlights and the headlines, we cannot talk about what we want to talk about. So Antonio Brown, for all you who don't know, threatening to punch GM Mike Mayock in the face after an altercation following what seems to be a summer full of trials and tribulations between the Raiders and Antonio Brown. First, the helmet debacle, the feet thing, the... What finally else signed with a helmet yeah, company, though. Finally signed with a Zenith helmet, which we actually had. I, I'd like to, Brennan to tell this story about our club. We have a class with a certain female who worked for Zenith Helmets down in Detroit, had an internship over the summer, and she basically told us what, Brennan? Yeah, so Nate and I have one class together, Literary Interpretation of Sport. Shout out to that class. Pretty good class, actually, I'd say. Yeah, not bad, actually. It's really good. Uh, so we had this one girl talking about... She she had an awesome job, by the sound of it. She had an she, impressive resume, she too. She had an amazing resume. She worked for Bleacher Report. She had an internship for Zenith Helmets, and she had a scoop that I wish we would have shared with you last week because we knew it then, and we wish... Now that it's actually we should have official, tweeted it. Yeah, now that it's official, we should have broke the story right then and there. So long story short, basically, she told our entire class... That Antonio Brown, there were rumors flying around that he was actually going to sign with Zenith. And as we saw from a couple of days ago, it's exactly what Antonio Brown did. And uh, I'm glad we got that out of the way because that was perhaps the least interesting thing about Antonio Brown that's happening yep. right now. Yep. And I want to get your take about what's happening there and what do you think the Raiders' course of action should be? Because like we just said, burned his feet in a cryo chamber, protested his helmet, threatened to punch the GM in the face. And this is all coming off the heels of basically things that he already did with the Pittsburgh Steelers, getting into a beef with Big Ben, basically turning his back on the organization, the whole nine yards. He's got a, an amazing track record of doing just impossibly stupid things. So I want to know what do you have to say about this and what is what do you think the course of action should be for the Oakland Raiders if they're trying to be a legitimate franchise that has any respect held around the league? Well, you know Antonio Brown is in the wrong when Vontez Perfect is the one who's holding him back from punching Mike Mayock. Vontez Perfect, for all of you who don't know, is usually just the typical voice of reason. So I just wanted to let you know that Vontez. Oh yeah, he has a clear yeah. head. He's completely sane. Yeah. yeah. So definitely, definitely Antonio Brown is clearly in the right here for wanting to punch Mike Mayock. No, Antonio Brown is an absolute idiot. And it, it pains me to say that because he is a Chippewa alum. He's the Central Michigan's probably what most famous alum. Yeah, he's their poster child basically. But he's really bringing uh, name to the or shame to the CMU name. It's tragic actually when you think about it. He is he he embodies CMU football, uh, and that's not really the legacy we want to have. Um, and if I'm Mike Mayock, I'm absolutely spending into, uh, suspending Antonio Brown. There's there's no reason that that kind of behavior should be tolerated in any level of football. You talked about Vontez Burfecht being the voice of reason. You want to know who else what, tweeted a certain video about Antonio Brown that's also the voice of reason? I'd love to hear. One Mr. O.J. Simpson, who we all know is has a very rational and clear-thinking process. Yeah, so. he, he is... He's truly the wisest sage in football. Yeah, so. he is. And I don't know if you saw the the Scott Van Pelt one big thing from last night on SportsCenter, basically ripping into Antonio Brown, calling him a child, everything else. 
happened to mention that his last game he played, he had something like 14 catches, 182 yards, and two touchdowns, which is the reason he even still has a job. When you're good at your job, you get more chances, and that's just how the world works. But you mentioned them suspending Antonio Brown, which I think is certainly going to happen. There have been rumors floating around. Adam Schefter has said something about potentially cutting Antonio Brown. Is that too far, or is that just the right amount of punishment for him? And I guess you know somebody else is going to pick him up, and you don't want to play against him on Sunday. Right. So like I mentioned, absolutely I suspend him, give him a very harsh slap on the wrist. But it would be... That's such an oxymoron. That is- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I realize that. But you know what I'm trying to say. Give him, give him an, a nice punishment to fit the crime. But for me, if I'm the Raiders, it's tough to get rid of him completely. You've already put picks into this man. You've put, pa- you've put capital into him. And not to mention, he's a very good player. So it seems very early to try and give up on Antonio Brown already. I would give him uh, a trial run year, if you will. Shout out to the podcast. Uh, See what he can do if he keeps making these foolish decisions. It may be time to let him go, but like you said earlier, the better player you are, the more leeway you have. That's a topic we've actually talked about a lot on this podcast before, and Antonio Brown is undeniably one of the best players in the NFL. Is there any sign that it's going to stop? Like any at all? Well, I will say that earlier today, actually, today's uh, Friday. You, you guys will be hearing this on Saturday. But earlier today on Friday, Antonio Brown did come out with apparently a heartfelt apology, both to Mike Mayock and the entire team. Again, he's a diva, so that may mean nothing. But it's the step in the right direction, at least. That also came on the heels of him unfollowing Derek Carr and the Oakland Raiders on Instagram. That is correct. So, right, he's a diva. But... Terrell Owens was a diva, too, and was a successful NFL player. I just think it's too early to give up on Antonio Brown. The season hasn't even started yet. He's never played a game for the Raiders. Give it a season. See where you're at. If you can handle him after one year, keep him. If not, then ship him out somewhere. I feel like you can give him the opportunity, but what are the chances that he actually pans out with the Raiders? Because I think they're significantly lower than we think they are. For as good a player as he is, the hassle and the headache that comes with them is starting to, I mean, is mounting and mounting and mounting and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I just don't understand how anybody can run a functional organization with him at your forefront, really. Well, maybe not from a management perspective, but really, if you think about it, what other place is better for Antonio Brown's style than Oakland? They're going to move to Las Vegas, but the fans themselves, the Oakland Raider fans are insane. They feed off of this type of thing. So... I don't know where else Antonio Brown could go that would fit his style more. The Patriots. Absolutely. <laughs> you think Belichick would, would accept this for one second? Um, yeah. No. Absolutely not. You, you fail to remember that he had Ocho Cinco. Who else did he have? Yeah, but he tamed Ocho Cinco. So maybe if he can... That's what I'm saying. If he can tame Antonio Brown, I guess. I thought you put Antonio Brown one day with the Patriot way, and all of a sudden he'll be this clean cut. Like yeah, like somehow, like ever yeah, like as if magic occurred. Like I don't know what they tell those players over there in New England to get them to act straight. I mean, Aaron Hernandez aside, I will say that. But apart from Aaron Hernandez, I don't know what they tell those players. But they come out as clean cut professionals, both on and off the field. They have actively tamed the personalities of Chad Ochocinco. Randy Moss, Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski. I mean, that's just a laundry list of people. And, right and there. It, a uh, a dark horse candidate for that, Tom, that Tom Brady himself. He could be a big headed, egotistical 
asshole, but he's not. He's he, he takes pay cuts for the team. He's pretty humble. I mean, he does like to toot his own horn, but he's the goat, so he can do that. He's not he's not rude to the media. He keeps a pretty level head, and that's pretty impressive if you think about it. It is, and we see the contract is the big issue with Antonio Brown right now also. Having a $30 million contract on the books for a receiver that may or may not be there on Sunday because he can't act straight, that's something that's a problem. We've seen receivers getting paid around the league this offseason, Mike Thomas, Antonio Brown, and now Tyreek Hill also just signed a recent extension, three years, $56 million. And I wanted to get a quick transition into that and get your thoughts on what Tyreek Hill means to the Kansas City Chiefs. And the fact of the matter is that he has a bit of a a troubled past surrounding him. What do you think the implications of that are on this new deal? And do you think he's going to be able to keep his nose clean for the next three years if it's worth $56 million to him? Well, this kind of seems like poor timing or maybe even poor taste from the Chiefs. We just got off the whole Tyreek Hill debacle. There was a question whether or not he was even going to play this season or in the NFL ever again. And to sign him to a contract of this magnitude now, I don't know. It's, it's, It's iffy. This contract makes Tyreek Hill the second highest paid wide receiver in the NFL in terms of average value. Is it right behind Mike Thomas? Right behind Mike Thomas. So, and I get, I get that contracts are finicky things. I really do. And sometimes they just have to be taken care of in certain off seasons. But it seems like this is a special case. And if they do have to sign him now, I just don't know if it should be this type of value. Now, I want to offer a counter opinion to that. Not even a counter opinion, really. Just something that I don't hear a lot of people talking about. How valuable is Tyreek Hill to that team? Oh, extremely valuable. Do you think? He is. I mean, to be fair, Pat Mahomes can make plays with a lot of different players, but from what we've seen on the field, Tyreek Hill is his go-to guy. Pat Mahomes will sometimes just seemingly chuck it randomly in the air, and Tyreek Hill will come down for it and run for 70 yards. So he's a very good player, no doubt about that. I understand that you can rip the top off your defense, and he has game-breaking speed. But we heard Jalen Ramsey say this, I don't know, about a year or two ago, talking about how he's a glorified punt returner, essentially. He's a good receiver. Is he among the elite of the elite? Because I know he's a dynamic athlete, but is he that level of receiver where he's getting the second highest paid contract in the league? Well, we've, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've ever seen the Chiefs in the Pat Mahomes era without Tyreek Hill. I don't think... Maybe a game here or there, but I don't think we've ever seen a prolonged period without Tyree Kill. So it's kind of hard to judge what the Chiefs would look like without him. Is there such thing as a prolonged period when the Pat Mahomes era has only been one year? True. I, I meant stretches of games. It never seemed like, from what I remember, Pat Mahomes has always been playing with Tyree Kill and they've had success. So it seems like why upset a, a good thing going, I guess, is what I'm saying. I get what you're saying, but I just wanted to, I le- at least wanted to pose the question because I just wanted to put that out there that Tyreek Hill, while at the upper echelon of athletes in the NFL, I'm not quite ready to put him in that upper echelon of receivers, I don't think, when you have guys like Mike Thomas, Antonio Brown, uh, who else? Blanking on names. Uh, Julio this, Jones. This is a tremendous job Keenan, by me. Keenan Allen. Tremendous job by You're me. really good Just at limping this. to the finish line. <laughs> no. Just leaking confidence at every turn. <laughs> I mean, so, but but the thing is here, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill is a good player. So regardless of, and, and we talked about earlier, we actually talked about last week on the podcast that contracts are cyclical. They, they don't always necessarily conform to the value of the player themselves. It just kind of depends on what the market is looking like. 
And I do believe that if if Tyreek Hill didn't have this whole controversy in his past, he, he deserves this contract. I think he's a good enough player. In fact, I know the Chiefs management, I believe, has said this, and I agree with them that I would sign him to more years than three years. If And the only reason I think they didn't is because of this whole controversy. So he deserves the contract, in my opinion, but I from his play, that is. But I don't think he deserves it from what we've been dealing with this past offseason. I wanted to move on a little bit. We started with a player potentially punching his general manager in the face. We moved on to contract talks. And now we're going to talk about something even less interesting, which is a 10-3 to Thursday night football game between the Packers and the Bears. We watched it last night. Tough to watch. Offensively struggling both sides. Uh, Aaron Rodgers did not look great. We saw him. He did not play in the preseason at all. Looked rusty. The offense looked rusty. They don't have a clear number two receiver yet behind Devontae Adams. That was very apparent last night. Mitch Trubisky looks completely incompetent. Can't throw to the left side of the football field. And they put up three points. And they we saw a meme on Twitter. Basically, the Chicago Bears begging for more points from Trubisky. And he only gave them three. So I, <laughs> I would... It was a not, spon- not ideal. Yeah, SpongeBob memes, those are always the best. We saw that on Twitter. Look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. What kind of game was that last night? Is the NFL happy with that being an o- They got great ratings, by the way. Did they really? They got great ratings, but I want to know if the NFL is happy with that opening night performance by both of those teams. Well, I said this actually, I believe, halfway through the game, and you disagreed, me at the t- disagreed with me at the time, but I want to revisit it and see what you think now. I said that this Bears-Packers game was the NFL's version of the Miami-Florida game from a couple weeks ago when, you know, it was an absolute shit fest, which we both acknowledged. This game with the Bears and the Packers didn't seem a whole lot better. I mean, the talent level is better, obviously, but the game itself was disgusting to watch. It was no good. They didn't have the turnovers, obviously, didn't have the big penalty mistakes that they did. There was plenty of sacks, though. Aaron Rodgers got sacks plenty of times. The defenses looked light years ahead of both the offenses on both sides, which I suppose is reasonable. You expect that. You do expect that week one. I suppose that's reasonable given that week one, you got a lot of offenses trying to work out kinks and such. Matt LaFleur, the new offense coordinator, or not the new head coach, actually, for the Packers, a Mount Pleasant boy. Right really not, County. not impressed with this play calling, to be honest. Yeah, not impressed with the play calling, but on top of that, not impressed with the output from that offense. Only 10 points. That ain't going to cut it when you get into, into the tougher games of your schedule. And the Bears, God almighty. Yeah. I don't know what's happening with that. Three points. I, no discernible playmakers. Tariq Cohen, maybe a little bit out of the backfield in the passing game. But, God, Mitchell Trubisky, throw the ball downfield, my guy. I'll tell you what I disliked from both teams. As I just mentioned, Matt LaFleur's play calling, it was... Suspect to say the least. He seemed to get too cutesy with it. He was he's a new play caller, never done it before. And it just That's just not the truth. He's been an offensive coordinator multiple times. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I meant head coach, not play call. That's I, I should have should have yeah. rephrased. It, it, that you. did come out wrong. But Thank you. that's terrible. But it, it just seemed like the lights were too bright for him almost. I don't know. It, he didn't really run an offense. Well, that, I'm, not, I'm not ready to go there, but I'm just saying that. It's I, I was on, I was unimpressed. I really was. I was unimpressed, but I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to say that. I'm not ready to basically write him off and say that. Oh, I'm not he, writing him off. I'm just saying it seemed like it, it just seemed like he wasn't ready for the moment yet, which that's not to say he won't be successful this year. The massive implications for this game, obviously, we want to know how the NFC North is going to look because our... Hey, wait, you didn't even let me get to the Bears. I had to talk about the Bears, too. Okay, please talk about the Bears. Very quick. And then I want to talk about the Detroit Lions, please. Very quick. Uh, I was very unimpressed that 
what's his name? David Montgomery did not get significant touches. What did he got six? Se- seven touches. Seven, seven touches. carries. Six carries, one reception. That's terrible. Give that man the rock. He deserves it already. All right, excellent take by you. Can we talk about the Lions now? I'd love to. The NFC North, as we saw last night, might be a little bit more wide open than we thought. The Bears not looking as solid as they were last year, although their defense was very good. We talked about the offenses. The Packers look certainly beatable. We haven't seen the Vikings play yet, but the Lions, I'm telling you what, I'm telling you what, they might just be able to sneak out a second spot in the division, maybe a wild card, and who knows, they play well enough, you know, thing happens here too, ball rolls their way, and now we're talking about a division championship. Am I talking just a completely foreign language to you right now? Do you think anything that I'm saying has any value at all, or do you think the Lions actually have a chance in this division? No, it makes perfectly logical sense what you're saying, which is why it won't happen. Uh, The Lions, it seems that the stars are aligning perfectly for them to you know, potentially get that wild card spot or even win the NFC North, which is why they'll go seven and nine or eight and eight and miss the playoffs. Week one against the Cardinals, who do you got? You have the Lions. We saw Cliff Kingsbury's offense a little bit in the preseason. Definitely going to be some more bells and whistles as we as we enter the regular season. Probably going to give Kyler Murray a little bit more of a of a control over the offense. So we're going to see stuff that we haven't seen from them yet. This is a game that the Lions should win, and you just talked about how the Lions love to lose games that they should win and basically go counter of what we think should happen. I think the Lions are going to win tomorrow. I think it's going to be much closer than it needs to be, and I want to hear your opinion. You really hit the nail on the head there. They lose to teams they're not supposed to lose to. So on paper, they should beat they should beat the Cardinals, and I think they will, especially just because Kyler, Kyler Murray is a rookie. And it's really hard to win week one with a rookie quarterback. Uh, but it's the Lions we're talking about, so really, who knows? The Lions, I, like I just said, they need to win this game more so because of what the rest of their schedule looks like throughout the first five weeks. I mean, they have some brutal. They play the Rams. They play the Chargers, Packers, I believe. But then it smooths out from there. It's, it's a relatively easy schedule, actually. I kind of disagree with you. I mean, it, it definitely levels off. I think off. it was rated like the, the 25th hardest schedule in the NFL. It's front-loaded. Their first game, their first five games, Cardinals, Chargers, Eagles, Chiefs, Packers. So the Rams are not in there. I misspoke. It's the Chiefs instead of the Rams. He lies. I lie. But, yeah, at Cardinals, uh, Chargers come to town, at Eagles, Chiefs come to town, and then at Packers. That is a brutal first five game. If it they, is. It is. If they somehow can finesse a 3-2 and two record out of that five games, I think they're in great shape. But this is a very easy stretch to go 1-4, and four, yep. even 0-5 oh potentially. For sure. I could see him doing it. And if they do, the season's basically over. At yeah, the season's you shot can't start, you, you can't start 0-5. Oh like, there's no room for error at that point. Yeah, fantastic. Their path to winning the NFC North, we just talked about that a little bit. Got to win your divisional games. Got to go 3-2 and two at least in this first five-game stretch. I think the LaFleur situation has to fail in Green Bay for that to happen. You I just... Okay. I do. I, that's what I think. Breakout candidates on the Lions this year. We talked about this a little bit. Any breakout candidates that catch your eye? Because I told you mine uh, right before the show started, actually. Kenny Galladay, uh, I'm looking for him to take a big step forward this year. He took a big step forward last year. It's a very easy pick. I'll it say is that. an easy pick. And I also, somebody who I'm going to mention on the on the fantasy front, TJ Hawkinson, I'm expecting a big breakout rookie year for him also. Looked very solid in the preseason. He gets to learn, sit a little bit behind Jesse James and become an elite tight end, which I think he will. Well, I'm going to stick to the receiving core. And after losing Golden Tate, the Lions need a third receiver. They have Marvin Harrison and... Marvin Jones. Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison. I wish they had Marvin Harrison. He's 55 years old. Yeah, but I wish they had him in his prime. Regardless, 
as you mentioned, they have Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, but they still are now looking for that third option. And I think Brandon Powell, the second-year player, could really translate into that guy this year. He's looked pretty impressive in the preseason, so it just remains to be seen. But regardless, the Lions need to fill in that role somewhere, whether it's through Hawkinson or a different player. Uh, but I think Brandon Powell is positioned to be that type of guy. Everybody knows that we're bigger NCAA football guys than NFL football guys, but the one thing that does keep us intrigued with the NFL is fantasy football, which our season just kicked off yesterday. I had a very underwhelming showing from Devontae Adams on my fantasy team. You, I have no idea what was happening. My team's looking team. good as always. You know, yeah, you're, I don't think your team had anybody going last night. I'll but, run the table. But breakout players in fantasy, in our money league, I'm hoping that you don't have any of these breakout players that you're calling for on your roster. But who do you got as a breakout guy this year? I just mentioned mine a little, just a second ago, TJ Hawkinson, who I think is going to have a great year for the Lions and potentially a sleeper tight end one uh, in the making. So who's your guy that you think is going to have a burst onto the scene type year? I've already been singing his praises a little bit throughout this podcast, but I think David Montgomery could be a really good player. I will mention that during the summer, before the hype had even begun about David Montgomery, because I think it's fair to say that there is hype surrounding him now a little bit. A little bit. I mentioned, if we will recall, way back I won't. before the summer, last season, I said while watching college football on one brisk Saturday afternoon, David Montgomery is going to be an NFL talent. Did I not say that? Uh, I'm going to say no. Oh, you know very well I said that. He knows for that I said it, and the record will now show it forever. I said David Montgomery is going to be an NFL talent. I'm sticking by it. He could be a breakout player yeah. this season. Speak your truth. All right, player number two. Again, from an Instagram post this summer of potential breakout rookies, I think that J.J. Arcega-Whiteside could be a very, very dangerous player. A Cardinal, Stanford boy. Yeah, he is a Stanford Cardinal now, plays for the Philadelphia Eagles, and his red zone proficiency is unreal. He plays football like a basketball player. He box out his the, the DBs, grabs those end zone, corner of the end zone touchdown uh, passes, so I'm really ready to see him take off. And then my final guy, which I know you're salty about because I took him from you, you are tripling me up on these, Jesus. Yep. Marquez Valdez-Scantling from the Packers. I think that we mentioned earlier in this podcast, again, that the Packers don't have a number two receiver. I think he fits in very nicely into that role and could take off this season, especially for fantasy users. Yeah, I had him on my bench last night, and he outscored. I think he doubled up Marvin Jones' uh, point total, so I'm real happy about that. Marvin Jones plays for the Lions. Who's the idiot now? Yeah, uh, I meant Devontae Adams. My apologies. We're firing on all cylinders yeah, today, folks. Clicking on all cylinders. Awkward transition, though. MLB talk, we barely ever talk about it. I feel obligated to talk about it. This season, home runs, booming. Business is booming. Dodgers break the all-time home run, home run record in the National League. Our home runs ruining baseball because I want you to have the first word so I can come at this with a fire unknown to mankind in just a second. I'm glad that you're going to come at this with a fire unknown to mankind because my take is that I don't give a rat's ass. I don't care about baseball one bit. And so if home runs are ruining the game, good for it. I wouldn't even have known the difference. Baseball to me is just not that big of a deal. It's something that you put on while you're grilling in the summer. I guess, I mean, if we're going to be, you know, if I'm going to approach this from an analytical perspective, I would like to see more balls put in play just because, you know, you get players moving around. Maybe the game would be a little bit more interesting for me. But, you know, I just really don't care that much. <laughs> okay, here it is. 
Here's the T, sis. Okay, give me the T. Home runs are 150% ruining baseball. I want to see steals. I want to see bunts. I want to see balls put in play. I want to see everybody. I want to see everybody getting on base if they as much as they possibly can. I don't want to see big swings and misses swinging for the fence. I don't want to see 100 strikeout seasons. I'm tired of it. Rob Manfred, if you don't get on it, you're going to lose a fan. How about that? Oh, my God. How about that? That came out of left field, if you if you want me to use an analogy there. Yeah, how about that? You either fix it, Rob Manfred, you dejuice those balls, or you, you, lose a, you lose a fan for life. You know what? You want to know how to fix this problem? Tell me, please. You put a new sporting event in the summer months. What fits perfectly into that role? The new XFL that's coming out this spring. I fail to see how that has any connection whatsoever. Oh, I'll tell you how it has connection because, yeah, it's not going to fix baseball, but you know what? I've given up on baseball. Let's put a football league in the summer where it can be used and abused by the fans. You can't give up something that you just never cared about in the first place. Well, the record shows otherwise. All right, last thing of this segment, it just says, uh, Tigers, Lord, help us. <laughs> I, I think that speaks for itself. This is the Trial Run Podcast. A little turn of dubbing on a Mason-Dixon night. It's my life, oh, so right. My We're back, Trial Run Podcast, segment two. And just over the break, one minute ago, breaking news, Adam Schefter tweeting that, Antonio Brown will basically face no repercussions. They will play Monday night in Denver. That just shows exactly what uh, we don't know. We know nothing about this sport, apparently. Maybe the Raiders are just a dumpster fire. Who knows? After we just talked about him potentially getting suspended in <laughs> That's a great take by us. Time now for our weekly segment that we just started last week. This Week in History. Brennan, take it away. All right. So this week in history on September 6, 1969, the TV show HR Stuff with puppets by Sid and Mary Croft, debuts on NBC. The show was accused of drug references, including the title character's name, H.R. Puffin Stuff, meaning Puffing Hand-Rolled Marijuana, and the title lyrics of He Can't Do a Little Cause He Can't Do Enough. That was fantastic, and the delivery was just flawless. Great job by you. If we had an applause in the background, I wish you would get applause right now. I had a little HR puff and stuff before I, uh, before I said that segment. Easy on that. Easy. <laughs> College football back this week, week two. Let's talk about that. Week one highlights. I know you took great pride in seeing the SEC struggle mightily in the first week. There's the applause we were just talking about. SEC we had a horrible week. Why don't you just run through some of the scores that we saw in the SEC this week? because I know you took great pride in that as you're a huge Big Ten guy. We love to see Tennessee take that L to Georgia State. That's a fierce competitor in Georgia State, so understand, I understand why Tennessee lost there. Whoa, 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 timeout, timeout, timeout. Jared Garantano, you ever heard of him, Brennan? I don't want to talk about that. Don't Let me relish in my happiness right now. So I just want to let the record show that Brennan went on Instagram, so this is officially public, Brennan went on Instagram and tried to make the point that Jared Garantano of Tennessee is a top five quarterback in the SEC, and he promptly goes out there and lays an egg and loses to Georgia State. So that's a great great job by you, great take. Well, I'll never rely on the SEC for anything ever again. I'll just say that. We also had Wyoming beating Missouri, so, you know, that's great by Missouri. Uh, UNC, Mac Daddy. The, the fighting Mac Browns. Return of the Mac, if you will. Uh, UNC beating South Carolina. We had Jake Bentley suffered a serious injury too, which is going to be a problem for them down the line. That actually will be a problem for them down the line. Uh, Memphis, a power or a group of five team beating Ole Miss. Love a group to see of that. five powerhouse, if we will. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Mississippi State was favored by 22 over Louisiana Lafayette, another powerhouse, of course, and they only won by 10. And then one of my favorites, even though it was a win for the SEC, Arkansas was favored by 30 over Portland State. And, exactly. And won by 7. So... Uh, not a great week, not a banner week in the uh, Southeastern Conference. My favorite game last week that I absolutely want to talk about, not that it was exactly my favorite because I had money riding on Florida State, but Florida State's epic collapse against Boise State. What did they have, an 18-point lead at some point in the second half? Just absolutely <laughs> fell into shambles. Their offense with Kendall Bras, which looked absolutely unstoppable in the first half. Did it put up zero? I'm pretty sure it put up zero points in the second half. Is that correct? They had 31 in the first half. I'm going to look up the box score. You filibuster for a minute. Well, I would just like to say for the record that, first of all, I should preface, Nate uh, Nate and I with a friend do this competition called Spreads in the Spread where we guess the spreads of different games from the coming weeks of college football. And, of course, because I'm a genius, I picked Boise State to beat Florida State. So I'd just like the record to show that no one else was – Picking that, I was the only one who did. And really, I mean, at halftime, you guys were probably laughing your head off, like, oh, why did he pick Why did he pick Boise State? Florida State's steamrolling them. But, you know, who, who gets the last laugh in the end? Yeah, 31 points by Kendall Bryles offense in the first half, and they promptly put up zero points in the second half, ended up losing 36-31. I think, I think head coach of FSU Willie Taggart cited dehydration, which is interesting since Florida State players are the ones who live in Florida and Boise State players are from Idaho. Yeah, that's a great call by Willie Taggart. He's just trying to save his job, man. He, he's gone middle of the season this year. No way he survives this entire season. Hot take. I love it. That is not a hot take. That's a freezing that, – that's an easy take. No, that's, that's, a hot, that's a hot take, but I love it. I, I'm here for it. Willie Taggart will be gone. You heard it here first. Yeah, Boise State pulling out the outright upset. You got a nice little bump in the spreads and the spread from that. Hank Bachmeyer, their quarterback, did you happen to see him, a true freshman, absolutely balling out? I did, and I was truly impressed. That guy is awesome. The poise on him was ridiculous. I loved it. He led that game in gumption by far. Like, oh, he did, close. absolutely. He was getting railed. I don't know how much of the game you did see, but he was getting absolutely railed in the first half. His offensive line wasn't giving him any help, and he stuck with it as a true freshman in a hostile road environment and came out with the dub. Awesome to see. And while the SEC teams, we were just, which we were just talking about, were getting steamrolled or at least getting uh, getting games played against them by Portland States of the world and all those all those tiny little schools that nobody's ever heard about, we got to see a Big Ten team and not even a powerhouse Big Ten team in Maryland win seventy nine to nothing over Howard University. That's a seven and a nine consecutively, seventy nine to zero, folks. Maryland absolutely baffles me if you think about it. Uh, 2017 and 2018, with a home-and-home in Texas, they win both of those games in Week 1, I I will preface, and then they come out here in 2019 Week 1 and drop 79, admittedly on Howard, but 79 points. Why is Maryland such a good team Week 1 of the college football season? Well, it's because I think they come into every season just thinking that they're going to be something that they're not. They come out there, hang 79 points on Howard, in a couple of weeks, they're going to go out there and get steamrolled by somebody like Penn State, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, somebody like that. And then we're just going to forget about this game and forget it ever happened. But 79 nothing, nothing to scoff at because we've seen teams like a Portland State give Arkansas a run for their money and teams like Memphis beat Ole Miss. Obviously, Memphis admittedly better than Howard. But, yeah, 79 points against anybody is very impressive. 
I will say, though, that Maryland finally does seem to have a quarterback. They have the Virginia Tech transfer, Josh Jackson, who we saw was a legitimate threat at Virginia Tech. So, I don't know, maybe this is the year Maryland is a decent team. You never know. You never know. It's always possible. Is this the year of the freshman quarterback, too? I was just thinking about that. We saw Bo Nix play in that Auburn-Oregon game, which was an instant classic, a fantastic game. I'm looking forward to more ranked matchups this week. But, yeah, college game day was there, a great setting, and it was a tremendous game. Bo Nix, who struggled mightily in the first half, rallied the troops and came back, beat Oregon in the second half. We just mentioned Hank Bachmeyer from Boise State leading a rally against Florida State. Sam Howell from UNC. I mean, that kid, does that kid really look like a freshman? Because he no, looks like he an absolute stud. He does. He ends up beating their rival, causing Mac Brown to break out into dance in the locker room. And then Jaden Daniels for ASU, who you have in the notes, but I have no idea who he is. So I'm going to let you talk about him. Solid quarterback. That's all I have to say about him. Yeah, great but job. in terms of freshman quarterbacks overall, I always think every year that there's a bunch of good freshman quarterbacks. I feel like every year, I feel like every year somebody says this is the year of the freshman. Right, quarterback. right. But then it always seems that each coming year outdoes the previous year. Outdoes. Outdoes. That's a word. <laughs> outdoes. Outdoes. Okay. Outdoes. Okay. These does does. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Regardless, quarterbacks, they were impressive. The freshman freshman talent out there, you mentioned those names. I will say, I think Bo Nix is getting too much hype. I think he's going to be a good player in the future. But aside from his legendary final play, he didn't have that great of a game if you really look at the tape. Is he going to be enough to save Gus Malzahn's job? Because Gus Malzahn is sitting on the hot seat, everybody knows. And it's a big win for them to get a ranked uh, ranked opponent, beat a, beat a ranked opponent in Oregon in that first week, especially with a guy like Justin Herbert playing quarterback, and he's going to be playing at the next level. It's a big win for them, but if they put together another 8-4 and four season, is he really going to save Gus Malzahn's job? It's going to be a very, very interesting storyline throughout this college football season. Maybe one of the best storylines. Can the true freshman, really it is on the true freshman's shoulders to save Gus Malzahn's job. So... I'm very interested to see how that pans out. And it's not like Auburn has a cakewalk from here on out. I mean, they are playing some solid teams. I think they play both Alabama and Georgia. So it's going to be a little tough, but who knows? Anything can happen in college football. Yeah, as we're looking into this week, too, we got a bunch of matchups that we're really looking forward to. I think a really underrated matchup that we're about to find out if these teams are any good at all we're going to see usc and stanford play each other this week stanford struggled a bit against northwestern probably should have lost that game ended up pulling it out at the very end uh usc we saw them struggle mightily against fresno state their starting quarterback jt daniels gets hurt keaton slavis is taking over and yeah jt daniels out for the season like i just said it will be a matchup of who's really willing to step up and be that team in the pac-12 because the U usc is reeling right now from that injury uh, they're trying to save Clay Helton's job. Stanford did not look up to par with what we've seen them in the past. That's a matchup where I'm really, I really want to see whose will is stronger to pull that one out because I really think it's going to come down to that. It's a battle of two traditional powerhouse teams, and I think Stanford's going to take the edge here simply because Stanford is going to stick with what they always do. They have David Shaw as their head coach. He's been there for a while, and they just have that power football, which you see teams going away from now. USC being one of those teams. I believe USC is a four-and-a-half-point favorite, if you can believe that. That is that is a little surprising. But USC, like I just mentioned, is going to the air raid system after being a pro-style team for so long. And I just don't know with a freshman quarterback and a new system if they're going to be able to match Stanford's physicality. 
And we've got other big games this week. Texas A&M versus Clemson, obviously, LSU-Texas. LSU-Texas has the game has game day at it. We may never move off the couch this week. I won't. I guarantee I won't. I'll be there from 9 to midnight. Yeah, give me an outlook on Texas A&M-Clemson. Who do you got in that game? Uh, I think Clemson's something like a two- or three-touchdown favorite. So I would imagine I'm certainly going to take Clemson. I don't know if they'll cover the spread or not. I think it'll be a little bit closer than people think. Kellen Mond is a very good quarterback. Jimbo Fisher getting that program uh, his own way now, getting his own guys in there. So I think it'll be closer, but I definitely think Clemson's going to win that one. Yeah, I know I just ripped on the SEC this whole time, but I really want Texas A&M to win this game. I just think it would be very fun for college football to see that shakeup happen. And, yeah, I think that Texas A&M will cover the spread. I think it's going to be a very close game. I just like the matchup that Kellen Mond presents to that Clemson defense. But I do have Clemson winning overall. They're just a very dominant team with a lot of talent and very good coaching. Yeah, not a whole lot of weak spots there. Really not. There's really not. I mean, I will say this. This is an interesting storyline. Do you think Trevor Lawrence is overhyped? Because he seems to... He seems to get a lot of, of his notoriety for his performance in the national championship game, but other people, critics, are citing some games where he seems to disappear at times. So that is a question and a storyline we're going to have to look forward to this season. Yeah, he did not play well against Georgia Tech in week one. No, and he I, really didn't, yeah. kind of get lost in the shuffle of things because Clemson ended up winning that game by 20 or 30 points. So it's going to get lost and people aren't going to pay a whole lot of attention to that. But I think... I'm going to say no. I'm going to say he's not overhyped. I think Trevor Lawrence is what people think he is. I think he's going to be a very solid quarterback at the next level. I just think there's going to be some growing pains. Like, he's a young quarterback. He's playing at the highest level at a program like Clemson. A lot of pressure, a lot of hype, a lot of hoopla around the program. Love that. Yeah, so he's just going to have to be himself and stick, stay true to what he can do because he is an amazing athlete and amazing quarterback. I'm going to pump the brakes on people saying that he's overhyped. I want to see what he can actually do now that he's got a full season under his – or not a whole season under his belt, but he's got a full season looking ahead of him. It'll be interesting to see, like you mentioned, that he struggled against Georgia Tech in week one. It'll be interesting to see what he does now playing against what we at least think is a solid team in Texas Yeah, better competition for sure. Right, that'll be interesting. Uh, Central versus Wisconsin. How much do you think Central wins by this week? Oh, Central? Okay, here's what's going to happen. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Central's going to dominate the field position with their punter. They're going to have some booming punts when they even need to punt. Which Win you know, the field position battle. Amen to that. They're going to hold Jonathan Taylor to a measly 300 yards rushing. Measly. And they're going to win by a comfortable 23 points. Yeah, I don't know if... I, I think I read this article to you earlier today. But uh, Central's game plan for stopping Jonathan Taylor <laughs> is get 11 hats to the football and tackle proficiently. That's essentially it. So, to paraphrase... To stop Jonathan Taylor, we need to play football. Yeah, that's a great job by us, and I really hope we can hold him to under 200 yards. Jim McElwain said it best. I hope he doesn't try to win the Heisman this week against us. No, that, that is your uh, biggest concern of your Jim McElwain this week. Any potential upsets that you see this week at all? I do. I do see some. I don't know. These games I'm going to mention, I'm not even necessarily taking the underdog in these games. I'm just saying they're games to look out for. Uh, first one would be Nevada over Oregon. We just saw Nevada uh, beat Purdue last week in a thriller of a game. Uh, that was a really fun team. They look like a team that could be one of those teams that comes out of nowhere. Uh, Oregon's coming off a disappointing loss to Auburn, so maybe a little bit lower. You can never tell how teams are going to react to a big loss like that. So look for Nevada, Oregon. And then you know I had to do it to them. But this isn't as personal as it seems. Another game to look forward to is Cincinnati, Ohio State. Ohio State, 
We know I hate them, but Cincinnati is a very, very good team. They went 11-2 and last year, and they look like a team that could actually challenge in the American Conference this year. And Luke Fickle is their head coach, who is a former Ohio State assistant. He knows that program. He knows what they're about. That's a game to watch for. Ohio State did really not look good against FAU in the second half. No, they didn't. I mean, you can argue that they pulled off a little bit, which I'm sure is somewhat true, but not to that extent. They really did not look impressive in the second half. They looked they looked like world beaters in the first quarter, and then, yeah, second half, they put up, what, 28 points in the first quarter, and then yep. after that, just not a whole lot going on. I think only two more touchdowns after the first quarter. Uh, and then the final game I have, a team we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, look for Maryland over Syracuse. Syracuse is a team, maybe the only other team in the SEC outside of Cle- or ACC outside of Clemson that actually gets any love. Uh, they're favored over Maryland this week, and like we mentioned, Maryland had a very impressive week one as they've tended to have. So maybe Maryland, this could be the year that their success translates past week one, and they take the upset over Syracuse. Yeah, Syracuse is a one point favorite in that game. Uh, one of the games that I really want to look out for, not sure if it's going to be an outright upset, but I, I do expect this game to be at least have, it has some storylines attached to it. We saw Old Dominion, who was 0-3 last year at the time that they played Virginia Tech. We see them go to Lane Stadium this year and play the Hokies there. Do you think that Virginia Tech is going to be one of those teams that has just comes back with a vengeance and tries to rip the heads off of Old Dominion? Or do you think that we're going to see them start to tense up a little bit if it stays close because given what happened in that game last year with Old Dominion defeating Virginia Tech? Generally, I would say of a team uh, that Virginia Tech would come out, you know, guns blazing and just put away Old Dominion quickly. But I'm kind of suspect about the character of Virginia Tech simply because last year... Given what happened last year, yeah. Last year at the end of the year, they... They there player, were reports. There were reports of players intentionally trying to lose their last game so they wouldn't go to a bowl game. That's not really the kind of camaraderie you want in your team. That seems a little toxic to me. I if if Old Dominion comes out, you know, and starts playing football against these guys, they might just fold. Who knows? It's going to be an interesting game to watch for sure. That's what I'm saying because when you lose to a team like Old Dominion, when you're a program like Virginia Tech, you got to think that that's going to weigh mentally on you a little bit. And if that game stays close into the second half, the third, fourth quarter you might see Virginia Tech just buckle underneath that pressure like, oh boy, here we go again. So, yeah, that's a game that I'm absolutely looking out for. And uh, I just want to see Old Dominion go in there and play ball again like they did last year, which is odd because Virginia Tech actually went to Old Dominion and played at Old Dominion. They have a home-and-home series. So we'll see how we'll see if Lane Stadium affects that game at all and see what happens. That would be amazing if they won again. That would be so funny. Are we ready to wrap this bad boy up with our favorite segment? I do believe so. All right, it's time for our Who's Your Daddy of the Week. I'm going to let you go first. Go ahead. All right. My Daddy of the Week is Mike Mayock's unwavering fist over Antonio Brown. Is I mean, that's just the clear daddy of the week. I don't think that's the clear daddy of the week because my daddy of the week is way better. You want to know what it is? I'd love to hear it. My Who's Your Daddy of the Week is defense. And it's defense over the happiness of NFL fans. Defense is showing those NFL fans who's boss and saying, no, you're not going to enjoy this first week of football because there's going to be 13 points in an entire game. That's your daddy of the week. Hopefully we see a little turnaround in the upcoming week one games for the NFL. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Lots of football this week. We probably won't be leaving the room a whole lot. And we'll be back next week with a lot of football storylines, I'm sure. And we will see you then. This has been the Trial Run Podcast. God bless.